We appreciate you being on, man. Thank you very much. You bet, man. Great to see you. Yeah, great to see you too. I've been seeing you uh, a lot on TV lately with the uh, with the PFL. How's yeah. all that going? Yeah, how's it going? It's going really well. Yeah, we just started our fifth season. Uh, the first three shows are here in Vegas, so I'm nice. getting to be at home and and work from here. Um, it's been good. No, it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, and the, the PFL. I see you guys uh, all kinds of great talent. Got some new signings. Got some uh, in-house talent that you guys have developed. How's how, how do you feel about all that? How's that going? Actually, I think it's going very very well. This this organization is exploding, getting a lot of traction. Obviously, the first two seasons we were on NBCSN, uh, which is you know isn't really a great fit. Where it was a leftover contract from the World Series of Fighting days, and that's more NASCAR and golf than than MMA. So as soon as we moved to ESPN, I think we started getting a lot of traction very quickly. I think people like the meritocracy of of the format. It's not about talking smack or pulling publicity stunts. It's about going in that cage and scoring points and and winning fights. So uh, I think they've done a great job. You know, they just opened PFL Europe and just had our nice. first show in Newcastle there. I think you'll see PFL Middle East, the PFL Latin America as kind of feeder mm-hmm. programs to this PFL Global, and and they're going to launch the pay per view model at some point as well. So. I like what they're doing. They're taking care of the fighters. I mean, there'll be six new millionaires walk out of that arena on championship night. Uh, that, I think those checks got got a lot of people's attention. As you know, most of the mid and lower tier fighters, don't they don't make squat. I mean, they're lucky if they make 12 and 12 per fight. You can't get enough fights in a year to, to sustain your family or sustain yourself on, with those wages. It's ridiculous. So we have a lot of room to grow in this sport. In in that area, for sure. Yeah, hundred percent. No, and and uh, you know, as a, as a former athlete myself, I can really appreciate that system and that way of doing things. You know, it's a, you know, it's just it's just the right way, if you don't mind me saying. And but Randy, before we go any further, I just want to introduce you to Jordan Myers, my co-host. Uh, hey, Jordan's, Jordan. Uh, uh, Hello, sir. Yeah, Jordan's. Uh, you know, we're both obviously huge fans. You know. Uh, but Jordan's a former Army veteran himself, uh, like oh, awesome. you. And, um, what years were you in, man? Uh, I, wanted, I joined at the very end of 2010, and then uh, three years from there, so 2013. Okay. Uh, one deployment. Nice. Just one, one, one contract. Yes, Iraq or Afghanistan? Uh, Afghanistan. Afghanistan, yeah. yeah. And Kabul. Kabul, yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, and we're also joined by Jason Floyd, our producer, in the office here too. And uh, no, we're just really What's excited up, to have you on. Yeah, Thanks, and uh, no, you know, uh, so you know, be so. Where do, where do we start, man? I mean, six-time <laughs> UFC champion, uh, three-time All-American, uh, multiple-time Olympic alternate. Uh, you know, tons and tons of accolades, Hall of Fames, and so on and so forth. And I just have one question I want to start with being a fellow athlete myself or former fellow athlete. Like, how were you able to separate the chaos of life and bring it into the cage and still perform at a high level? And that's kind of a loaded and a difficult question, but um, yeah, I mean, off the top of your head, balance, you know, balancing. I mean, it's at some point I realized I become a master juggler. You know, I have, you're, you're keeping all these balls up in the air at the same time. And 
I'd been doing that for a long, long time. I, you know, had a kid on the way at, at 19, which is what led me to the army and, and a way to support a, a new family. And, and then I thought wrestling was done for me. You know, I have family on the way. How the hell am I going to keep wrestling and keep trying to compete and make an Olympic team? Little did I know the army was the perfect vehicle for that. And, you know, at the peak of the cold war in the eighties, we had 5 million soldiers stationed in Europe and, and, wrestling and boxing were huge sports for the services because of the combatives. And, uh, I ended up winning a couple of us army Europe championships, but now I'm, you know, I've got two kids by this time. My daughter was born in Germany. And so I'm juggling, trying to make the Olympic team and compete at the inner service and, and the national championships and all that for wrestling and trying to keep my family, you know, taken care of and, and provide them with everything that they need. And, and it just turned into this juggling act, you know, from there, I you know, left the service, after being an alternate in 88 and, and went to college. So now I'm a full-time college student plus wrestling full-time for Oklahoma state and trying to keep this, this family going. It just became a way of life. You just keep all the balls up in the air and, and do everything you need to do to get there. Um, I don't know. Honestly, <laughs> sometimes look back and say, hey, I don't know how the hell I did that, but it worked out. No, but it was just it was just something that you did naturally. It was no like system that you adhered to or rituals that you followed or it was just this is how it is I mean, and I'm I'm a warrior yeah, and a soldier. I mean, this is what I'm doing. Yeah, thankfully uh, and if if there's been some sacrifices and and been some people that have paid, you know, because of that commitment, because of that passion that I was chasing, it's been my family. My kids spend tons of time in gymnasiums yeah. watching me compete or sitting around, you know, playing same with same with, you know, my my wife at that time, and, you know, and I had two wives, you know, three actually that were, were those, that era when I was competing and trying to juggle all that stuff. And, and you know, that's, there's where the sacrifices were made, was with time with them and doing, always doing the right thing in those, some of those relationships. So uh, thankfully I have three amazing kids, despite my, you know, just, Despite me, <laughs> despite all that, uh, you know, no. but those divorces, I think, were, you know, you want to talk about a sense of failure and, and, and not getting the job done. That's absolutely how I feel about those, especially the first one. That was the worst. And one of the, you know, one of the few times the thought entered my brain, like, man, I just I'm, I'm failed miserably and and want to be done. <laughs> on this planet. No, I, I understand. I, I'm recently divorced myself and I can, I can kind of relate to what you're saying, but there's, there's always light at the end of the tunnel and a guy that, like yourself, I'm sure you can explain it better. You know, uh, we all make mistakes at times. And if, if even if yeah. it was or wasn't a mistake and forgiveness is a big part of that, but being able to trudge ahead and keep moving forward the way that you did is such an exemplary thing rather than taking the, the other, the other route, the low route, you know, of, of negativity. Yeah, you know, and, and, and again, I think working with a lot of our veterans in the veteran community, having tons of, of friends from that world, especially since 9-11, that have put their butts on the line and, and, and then struggled when they came back. They thought they left the front lines when they left Afghanistan or Iraq, and then they come back, they struggle, we struggle with who they are, they struggle with their purpose, they start self-medicating, they, they, uh, they're adrenaline-seeking. I can't imagine the adrenaline rush of being in a combat zone and, and you can probably speak to that, Jordan, but we, you know, our training can be our, our own worst enemy. And we're, we're trained not to ask for help, not to show vulnerability or weakness, to stay on task and get shit done. And, and, uh, and then the next thing you know, we're looking down the wrong end of our gun. 
um, and the statistics speak for themselves. You know, try to be pretty open and honest about the times I've I've been in that headspace. It's only been twice in my life. Uh, thankfully, I've never struggled with depression or anxiety. I have other friends that have, and uh, you know, a lot of our guys come back and they're lost. They don't know who they are anymore. They don't have a purpose anymore. It sounds great, man. I can't wait to get out of the service. And then once you're out, you're like, damn, what am I going to do with myself now? I don't have the structure. I don't have the support that I had before. And I don't really know who I am. Uh, you know, what's my next purpose? What's my next mission? Who am I going to be? How am I going to be a contributing member of society? So uh, that's the struggle. That's that's the challenge in that transition. I'm been very fortunate that both my transitions were, you know, the purpose was already built in. When I left the service and walked away from that uniform, I was headed to Oklahoma State to be an All-American and national champion and get my degree. You know, when I walked away from my my fighting shorts and my gloves, you know, uh, acting and, and all the business stuff I'd already built in, in the 14 years I, w- I was a fighter was already in place. And I could just focus my energy on those things. And I knew who I was. I knew what I wanted to accomplish in those areas. And there was no downtime for me. There was no floundering or trying to figure out who the hell I am or where I was going next. I see. And you and uh, part of the uh, the Extreme Couture uh, GI Foundation, you've developed yeah. that as well to help uh, uh, soldiers and others uh, in that situation. Correct, sir? Exactly. Uh, in, in 06, I went to Iraq for 12 days. Rich Franklin and I on the ground, you know, nice. uh, six different fobs in those 12 days, hanging out with, with the guys that were fighting wow. the fight. And, you know, I, I took that oath at 19 and did all that training and never really had to put my butt on the line. And now since 9-11, a lot of guys actually going out there and doing the job and the things that I trained to do. So it was just an eye opener for me being in a combat zone and hanging out with all these guys and hearing the stories and seeing how they were living, what the, you know, I've never been that hot in my life. And I live in Las Vegas. It was 129 degrees. It was stupid hot. Wow. Uh, you know, and they're living in tents or, or, you know, makeshift shipping containers that, you know, drinking as much water as they can drink, plus wearing all their gear. I mean, it, it was, it was something. And then the following year in, in 07, I got to go to Walter Reed and Bethesda in DC. We put on a big barbecue at the Fisher house, um, and and met a lot of the caregivers uh, and then got to walk the wards it was me uh, don fry and ken shamrock and uh nice. a buddy of mine mike davis set up this big barbecue and and we got to walk the wards and i met a bunch of soldiers that had been wounded fresh off the battlefield and heard the heard the horror stories all oh, my my wife's car is in the parking garage it's got a boot on it we can't you can't afford to pay the fifteen hundred dollars in parking fees to get the car back and my mom lost her, you know, lost the house because she's been down here with me for the last two years while I'm learning to walk again. And just a bunch of frank, frankly, BS like that, that really got my attention and irritated me. And so that was the impetus for me to go file for 501c3 status and create the Extreme Couture GI Foundation to help some of these guys that have been wounded in combat and are now in transition, trying to get back to being whole and contributing to the, our civilian life and population again and i want to take that financial pressure off these guys i don't want to hear those stories uncle sam can't there's too many of us uncle sam can't take care of all of us so the more of us that link arms and and help each other out and you know high tide raises all ships we got to take care of each other you can't expect that uncle sam's going to do it so um 
that's where that came from. And now we've added MVP to the top of that, merging bets and players. You know, I, I run the Nevada chapter out of my gym. And that's creating a place where these guys can come and work out. And then we have what we call a huddle. We sit on the mats after workout and, and we talk. And the demons all come out. You know, they, these guys give them a safe place where they can be vulnerable, where they can show and let all that shit out uh, into the light of day. It doesn't like the light of day. And I guarantee you there's somebody else in the circle that's been in that spot that struggled with that exact same thing and, and will tell you how they got through it. And hopefully that helps you get through it. You realize you're not alone. I see that. That's amazing. That's, that's, yeah, that's really great that, uh, you're able to provide that, that service for the, uh, for the vets. And, and, and then to tag along with this too, like what about, you mentioned it briefly too, your own experience in transitioning from, from professional fighting into what you're doing now, into your businesses and into your acting career, your flourishing acting yeah. career. The transition, how, like, I, I know these transitions are never easy, but if you could explain to to the audience, to us and to the audience, like, how was that for you? How was it for you? Like, like I said, I feel very, very blessed and very fortunate that my purpose, my new purpose was already built in in that transition. So, you know, when I left, when I ETSed and got out of the Army, I literally drove from Fort Campbell, Kentucky in the 101st Airborne Division across into Oklahoma and, and rolled into Stillwater, Oklahoma to start, right. uh, you know, that same summer, that same month uh, as a, colli you know, a, a collegiate student and athlete. Um, I didn't have time to sit around wondering who the hell or where the hell I was going and what was going to happen. I hit the ground running. And thankfully, you know, I had the gym, the clothing line. I'd been acting for a long time. Right. When I decided it was time at 47 to hang up the gloves and, and walk away from that, it was scary. You know, wow, gosh, I'm you know, probably the best contract I've ever had in that last two years of my fight career. Uh, I fought uh, five times in 18 months at, at the end of my career. It was the best most financial contract I'd ever received from Dana White and company. It was kind of like scary to like, wow, what am I going to do now? I, you know, still have a family. I've got, you know, my youngest going to college, I get all this other stuff going on. I still, you know, got bills to pay and things to do. So uh, fortunately, you know, things like the expendables and, and a bunch of these other jobs were still there. The clothing company, the gym, all that stuff was still there. It became harder to go into the gym <clears throat> because there was still a big part of me that wanted to step out on that mat and, right. and yeah, punch course. people in the face to get punched in the face. Um, right, yeah. So I almost shied away from going in there just because I knew it was going to draw me in and, and I was going to miss it. You know, it's hard to go to the fights and, and not be wrestling in your seat and, and yeah. you know, it's engaging in that. And, and the next thing you know, you know, you're wanting to go back out there and do it again. And uh, at 47, that wasn't probably a great idea for me to do. So I needed no. to stay away. Well, the thing Let's is, I'm sure you're you were very well capable of doing it. I'm sure that you you had. But I think I think what you know, my personal opinion. I mean, uh, you're a hero to a lot of people, and you're an exemplary model to a lot of people in regards to that. And to win a title at the age and hold the title for as long as you did, and to compete at the older age is exemplary to a lot of Americans and a lot of people in the world. And we really appreciate that about you. Wow. Thanks, Nick. You were a part of that journey, man. You were a great yeah. workout partner for a long time. 
very, very small part. But, uh, you know, I, the time at Extreme, uh, at Extreme Couture was amazing. I mean, the, the athletes that have uh, come out of that gym and, and what's going on there now is absolutely amazing. You have an amazing staff. I was there over Christmas. And I got a chance to run into, oh. to, into Eric and Nate and Dennis. And, uh, yeah. you know, what a, what a great gym and facility that you've built there and a great brand that you've built. Thanks, man. We love it there. And, and those guys you mentioned are doing an amazing job of, you know, of kind of in a lot of ways rejuvenating and rebuilding the culture that, that you know, when I was competing and in there doing my camps and all that, when you were there, you know, we, we had a great spot and a great place and a really, really good crew of people, uh, you know, that pushed each other to the limit. But at the yeah. same time, there was no ego. We took care of each other, too. And it went through a big wall when I when I retired and walked away. A lot of guys scattered. They went to other gyms and other places. And you know, Dennis and Robert Fallis when Robert was here, and, mm. and then Eric Nixick, and then my son Ryan stepping up and managing the place. And you know, they just kind of rebuilt that culture and that family feeling and that team that 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 was there. You know, before and uh, guys like me should you know gals like me should take yeah. you know Francis Nagano. Brad Tavares. Yeah. I mean, there's so many guys that are that are in there, getting it done and, and chasing their passion and finding ways to accomplish their dreams. It's it's pretty awesome. Absolutely, and then and then uh, one of my favorite uh, characters is Sean Strickland as well too. He's a he's <laughs> yeah, a steadfast, I saw Sean uh, the other day. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, he's he's one of my favorites. Um, well, let's take a, a little bit of a turn here. So let's talk about your acting right now. Let's talk about the Expendables. What's what's it been like working with Sly and Company, and all the all the studs? I'm sure they're they're hell excited to work with you. And what's what's your experience been with them? I mean, it's been amazing. It, definitely one of those pinch me moments. You know, in, in Expendables one, I still remember we're we're shooting the first couple weeks of that film. We were shooting down in Rio de Janeiro. And there's a big palace there that we were using as a backdrop for this infiltration, uh, you know, in to get the bad guys. And we're all standing around this well, which was going to be our egress, our, our way to enter into this palace structure. And that was the first time all the expendables came together at the same time. And on set, the buzz, having all of those people in the same space, you know, synchronizing their watches in the scene and getting ready. I mean, it was, it was definitely surreal. I'm like, what the hell am I doing here? This is <laughs> and, uh, A great group of guys, you know, everybody's like, Oh man, what's it like? Is it, you know, a bunch of, you know, egos. And uh, I, I'm assuming I almost said something a little more colorful than I wanted to, but uh, <laughs> you know, everybody thought there would be drama and, and, you know, guys, with bravado and pounding their chest yeah, and all yeah. that, but it was it was none of that. I think uh, we were all honored to be part of such an ensemble cast and group of guys. We had a lot of fun sitting around in between takes, you know, telling jokes and teasing each other. And I felt like I was back, you know, in my locker room on the old football team before the game. You know, getting suited up and 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 having a blast and and then going out there doing your job. It was just surreal. I remember being in Plovdiv, Bulgaria, shooting two. And, you know, it was so surreal. It was really cold outside. So we're in these tents, these makeshift tents, getting geared up for this big scene where the entire cast is going to go out and shoot at Jean-Claude Van Damme. <laughs> and I'm standing next to Schwarzenegger and Chuck Norris, and we're all getting geared up, looking at each other like, can you believe this shit? This is unbelievable. 
<laughs> That's awesome. That's so cool. And uh, Expendables 4 is set to come out this year, right? Is it what's the, the yeah, release date? September 22nd. It'll be in the theaters. Uh, we filmed last year in, uh, in uh, London, uh, Bulgaria again, and Greece, Thessaloniki, Greece. Uh, it was a two and a half month shoot over in Europe. Uh, which is a long time to be in a hotel, <laughs> uh, but you know, you, you, you find your way, you, you know, most hotels now have gyms. Uh, so I was getting my workouts in and, and, you know, staying that keeps me focused and keeps me moving forward. And, uh, you know, you're working 10, 14 hour days, you know, every single day, five or six days a week to, to get through that whole process. So it's, it's a grind. Uh, everybody thinks it's this glamorous thing and there's, there's nothing glamorous about it. You are grinding <laughs> it out every single day. You wait for that call time. You know, okay, call time tomorrow at 7 a.m. So I know that I'm going to be there at least from 7 a.m. till 7 p.m. and probably go longer than that. And then you also, at that same time with that call time, you get the scenes you're shooting that day. So then you're digging in, starting to memorize all your dialogue oh, and, and, and those scenes for that day so that you're prepared to walk out in front of that camera and know your cues you know, know exactly what's going on and what's expected of you. And I think those are all things that come from that fighter's mentality, that wrestler's mentality, being prepared, doing the work. You know, you don't want to walk out in the, in the, in the center of that cage or the, or the center of that wrestling mat with some doubts that you've prepared yourself properly. And uh, if you do, you're probably going to have a bad night. Yeah. And I think the same is true when, you know, you're walking on set, especially with a bunch of killers like those guys. I mean, there's a reason why... Stallone and Bruce Willis and Schwarzenegger and so many of those guys for over 30 years have been at the top of their game because they treat this like a profession. And it, you look at the dichotomy between a guy like Van Damme or, or a Mickey Rourke, who, let's be honest, they're great guys, but they've had some serious ups and downs in their, in their careers because they treat it a little bit differently than the guys like Stallone do. You know, he knows exactly where his wheelhouse is. He's very smart. He knows exactly what he needs to do, uh, you know, to, to be successful in this industry. And he never took that for granted. He was very true to that profession. And, and I think, you know, that's that's what allowed him this longevity. He's, what, 76, going on 77 now. You know, some people think that Tulsa King, which is a series that's out right now, is some of his best work. As I've an heard actor. that. Yeah. So, I've heard you know, that. That's on Netflix. Is that Netflix, uh, Tulsa King? I think that's on Netflix. It yeah. might be on Amazon. I can't remember. But okay. Uh, okay. I haven't got a chance to slow down long enough to watch it yet, but I'm hearing yeah. a lot of great things about it. And um, yeah. yeah, so those are the kind of guys you want to rub elbows with, right, if you want to be successful in this, just like we did, Nick, when we were wrestling. You wanted to see what the best guys in the sport were doing in your weight class. Those are the guys you're going to have to compete against. So I'm going to pay attention to what those guys are doing, and I'm going to try and emulate their approach, you know, and, and what has allowed them success and made them successful. And being around guys like Stallone and and, and those other big names, it's, it's no different. You know, I'm sitting in, in Video Village watching, you know, trying to figure out how these cameras work and, and how, okay, you're changing lenses. Why are you changing lenses? Now you're going to slow this down or speed this up in the film speed and in, in filming it. How, what, what does that do? You know, trying to sort out the stuff that goes on that is the magic. That's the magic in, in this industry. So. Interesting. That's so fascinating. That's amazing. So, uh, just to change gears a little bit more, what's it, what's a day off like? 
for the uh, for Captain America. What do you like to do? What do you like to do for fun? Now I know you, uh, your your autobiography came out some years ago, uh, Becoming the Natural, mm-hmm. and that's still available uh, on all sources, I imagine. Um, but what I'm is- actually thinking about thinking about bringing that back out and and trying to add a few new chapters. I mean, it's been okay. I wrote that back in 05. It's been, you know, 16, 17 years, going on 18 years since since I, I, I wrote that. It took me about two years to put that all together. Loretta Hunt was my ghostwriter and did an oh, amazing nice. job in two years of interviews to capture, you know, the message and do it. She did an amazing job of capturing my voice and putting it in the book. And uh, but there's been so much that's happened since then. I feel like I, yeah. I need to bring it out and add a couple more chapters. Yeah. Just keep but, accomplishing uh, things. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what's, what, what do you like to do for fun? What's uh, What are some of the hobbies that I you have on a motorcycle? Day? Okay. If, if I get a chance, you know, I want the, the sun on my back and the wind in my face. And there's something about being on that bike. It's something I've loved since I was a kid. I had a little dirt bike as a kid and the rest of the world goes away. It's like walking into that wrestling room. You know, you, you're not thinking about your bills. You're not thinking about that argument you had with your girlfriend. You are in, in the moment focused on that guy that's tying up his shoe over there that you're going to be wrestling in just a second. And the same thing is true about fighting and and training every day. That gym kind of becomes your sanctuary because the rest of the world goes away. You can't be thinking about anything else when you have somebody staring you in the face that's trying to take you down and pin you or trying to kick you in the head. And the same is true about that motorcycle. I got it. The rest of the world goes away. I can't answer my phone. I can't be texting. I can't be doing anything else. I'm just enjoying the moment. All my worries, everything else go away. Nice. Do you have a particular uh, bike that you like, a particular brand, a particular uh, model, or not to single anyone out or eliminate anyone from, uh, from the know, conversation? I have a, a Harley. I've got okay, a Harley nice. Davidson. That's my, kind of my road bike, my long distance. I've got a road glide. Um, nice. I had a road king for a long time, and I put a lot of miles on that bike. I've rode it across the country seven or eight times um, oh. through, for different events and stuff. I traded that in on this on this road glide uh, back in 2020, uh, and that's kind of my long distance bike for the longer rides and stuff. And I have a, a chopper. When I first moved here to Vegas in in 05, uh, my buddy who was building choppers at the time, Mike Davis, was running Suicide Jack choppers, and that was kind of that Orange County choppers big craze. You know, they had yeah. the biker build off on Discovery Channel, and all that was going on at that time. And uh, he built me a chopper which I love. It's called the soldier of fortune. It's, you know, got all army, you know, it's got army stuff all over it and it's a great bike and I will never sell that bike. That was my very first road bike. And, and I I love that bike. So, uh, that's great for hopping around town. Not so good for any long distance rides. You'll need kidney surgery. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you also, you also sponsor a couple of, uh, uh, biking events too, don't you? You guys have a couple of runs that you yeah. through the Extreme Couture GI Foundation. Yeah, the uh, foundation, one of our early events was a motorcycle poker run here in Vegas. And uh, like I said, this was all back, you know, 07, 08, when I founded the the, the GI Foundation. And uh, the, the bike rides, there's a strong connection between our motorcycle, the, this whole subculture of motorcycles and our veteran community you know after world war ii all those guys came back from the war bought bikes and that's when the one percenters and all the bike gangs and all this other stuff started so and and obviously there's a 
a, a lot of bike clubs and stuff that are all veteran run that don't have anything to do with the Hells Angels or any of this other stuff. They just love motorcycles. So uh, we started a motorcycle poker run. May 20th this year is our 15th annual motorcycle poker run for the Extreme Couture GI Foundation. Last year's ride in G it was in, in May, the second week in May, and it's the biggest ride we've ever had, 537 bikes showed up wow. it was incredible so we're expecting you know that this one this year might be even bigger as our 15th year doing it so and we're doing a ride in seattle a ride in quad cities a ride in florida all for the foundation as well so my friends have been coming to the vegas ride forever and like man i want to do one of these in my hometown i'm like well if you want to organize it buddy knock yourself out so we've, we've got one our fourth year doing it up in seattle our fifth year doing it in quad cities with Mark Pastelnik, he's a buddy of mine from, you know, he wrestled at UNI and, mm -hmm. and him and I won Greco championships in 1990 for the first time. And we've been friends ever since making the national team back then. And uh, he's the one that organizes the Quad City ride up there where Militich and all those guys live. Um, you know, big Tim Sylvia comes to that ride every year. It's always fun to get up there and see Tim and hang out with Tim. Yeah. Um, and then the Florida ride is a new one. Uh, another friend of mine grew up in, in Cocoa Beach, Florida. And, and last year, you know, he's been coming to my ride here. He lives here in Vegas. But he's like, man, I, it'd be great to do one of these rides down in Cocoa Beach. The, the Space Coast and the Kennedy Space Center and all that stuff, they would love to get behind that, you know, and, and help our veteran community as well. So that's a new one. We just added this last fall, and we're doing it again this fall. So well, Nice. Well, we'd love to have you uh, come down to Tampa. If we ever could get you down here, I know you're a busy man with a lot of <laughs> irons in the fire, but we would love to have you down here if we could ever make that happen one way or another. Yeah, Tampa would be very cool. Yeah, it's not yeah. that far, actually, from Cocoa Beach. Yeah, just a couple hours. Yeah, I think, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, no, that's fantastic, man. So, all right, so you stay busy. And uh, motorcycles are another passion of yours, too. What about, you know, I see sometimes you do a little, you, you get out and do any hunting at all? Are you a hunter, yeah, fisher? I am an avid hunter. I've been doing that since I was six. You know, that was one of the few times I got to see my dad. My dad was a bit of a deadbeat. He, you know, he didn't pay support. He was never really around. And, and he would come take me out of school for five or six days and take me hunting. And that was one of the few times I got to bond with him. So to this day, I still, I still love to get out. I still love the woods. I love nature. And I certainly love to hunt. Uh, you know, deer and elk are my favorite. I've got deer and elk meat in my freezer right now. I, uh, nice. I, I'm, a, I'm a meat eater for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's fantastic. I've actually I'm looking to probably do one of those myself. I've never been on an elk hunt, but I see, I hear it's, the meat's pretty amazing, right? It's almost like it's is incredible. It its own thing? Yeah, very lean. You know, obviously you're not getting the hormones and some of the other stuff they're putting in our other food uh, these days. But uh, yeah, I, I like it. Elk is my favorite for sure. Uh, the deer, depending on where they're at and, and what they're eating, they can be a little gamier. But uh, it's I think that's more of an acquired taste. I gotcha. I gotcha. Well, you know, you've always been uh, 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 a spokesman and very an exemplary man of, uh, of fitness and exercise. What do you What do you do now? You're You're how You're 59 now. You look like you're be 60, you look, Yeah, be 60 here in June. Uh, you look like you're 35 years old. Up. I'm sorry. Say I, that again. You know, it, it's tough to walk on a set with a guy like Stallone. At, you know, it's seven, going on 77. 
and still ripped and you're like, man, I can't roll in here with Dunlops and picking lint out of my belly button. That's just not going to fly. Uh, I do a lot of circuit training. I, you know, I don't, mm. like I said, I don't get in. I, I miss the grappling, honestly. I, I wish I could get in there and still compete grappling wise, but the neck is just worn out and I don't want to have to have a neck surgery and there's no way to do that halfway. I mean, you're either doing it or you're not doing it. And I've, I've kind of avoided doing it just because I know I can't go halfway and I don't want to damage the discs in the neck any more than they are, which is one of the things that led to the decision of, of walking away from the sport when I did. I didn't want to have to have a fusion. Everybody I know that's had a fusion, you know, now they have very limited range of motion and they're still in pain. So what? why? Right, um, right. So have I, you, uh... I've just been trying to take care of the neck. I do a lot of circuit training. I do some light mm. sparring. Uh, you know, I'm not getting in there and mixing it up with the pros very often. Uh, it's funny. They were doing that four part documentary series, uh, for the PFL in the off year because we took 2020 off, right. uh, instead of trying to frankly half ass the season because they spent so much time and energy building this format of a true sports format with a regular season, a championship and a playoff every year, like every other sport. And so it would have been really hard to do with all the all the protocols and quarantines and stuff. So they just took that year off. They created a production company and did this four part kind of documentary about my career, which was very flattering. Um, and they asked me, hey, will you go in and, and train with the pros, go into pro practice? We'd like to get some of that on film. And I'm like, OK, I can do that. So I'm in there with the guys warming up, you know, sparring. First two rounds were pretty good. I, I picked smaller guys. <laughs> <laughs> and I felt like, yeah, okay, I, I can still do this. And then the third round, I end up with fucking Francis Nagano. Oh, oh boy. And he oh, freight wow. trains me. He freight trained double me, and I did not see the light of day for the next four and a half minutes. It was ridiculous. So I'm like, oh, man, that's going to look great on film. <laughs> <laughs> but it is what it is. Francis just stopped his game, and, yeah. you know, yeah. why, why should he pull any punches just because it's my old ass standing in front of him? I got you. That's that's awesome though that you're still mixing it up. You're almost 60 years old. You're still in there, rolling with those guys, rolling with you know some of the. He's he's arguably the I mean the best in the game right now. He walked away from his UFC contract as the champion, um, but that's amazing, Randy. And then uh, again, another exemplary uh, reason why you are who you are and why everybody loves seeing you and loves talking to you. Well, I appreciate that, man. Yeah. Of course. Um, yeah. So uh, is there anything else that uh, that you'd like to talk about at all? Anything you'd like to, to throw out there? Anything that any advice for, for young athletes, for for uh, people going through struggles, for people in general? Just anything that you have yeah, to you know, say? I think it, it, we're, we're living in a very, very strange time right now. Uh, certainly in this republic, in, in this country, things are a bit weird and uh I think just staying focused and being true to who you are, figuring out and finding out what your, where your passion is, what it is that you want to accomplish and, and then set about chasing that with everything that you have. You know, once you figure that out, where you find where your passion is, you know, at 10 years old, when I walked on that wrestling mat for the first time, I knew that that, that was it. I found my calling. I found the place where I felt comfortable and, and where I seemed to flourish. And, uh, you know, you're going to do whatever it takes to, to get there and be successful at that once you figure that passion out and, and you commit to it. And, and I think, you know, it's a, it's a crazy time. A lot of us are you know, 
I don't know, just scratching our head, trying to figure out where we're headed and what's what's going to happen here. Because I feel like something's definitely coming, and I'm not sure. You know, I'm a little worried about it, frankly. Uh, and I never thought I'd say that. I took that oath at 19. You know, most of the enemies at that time were foreign. <laughs> it right. doesn't feel like that anymore. It, you know, they're 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 not foreign. They're right here. They're living with us. They're they have some plans and an agenda here. It seems and. It's it's a bit worrisome, frankly. Um, you know, you saw what happened yesterday when the former president gets you know gets hemmed up over some BS that, that is, frankly seems fabricated to me. Um, yeah. I don't know. I'm a little concerned for sure. But I got to be me. I got to be true to who I am and and you know entertain and and defend the freedoms that that we enjoy in this country that in a lot of other places they do not have and i don't think i think we've taken a lot of that for granted we don't see or realize it's one of the things i loved about being in the service is it forced me to travel to a bunch of these other places and the first thing you recognize is man i miss home i miss a lot of the things that we have at home and 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 that we take for granted we we do not appreciate no, I'm going to have to agree with you on that one, Randy. I mean, having traveled, you know, just like you have, maybe not as extensively as you have, but seeing the other nations, seeing the other places in the world, Russia, Eastern Europe, these other places, these people, they, they live in such a destitute manner. A lot of them, the, the average person doesn't have the freedoms that, uh, that we as Americans do. And um, I, think, I think that your concerns aren't unwarranted. No. You know? We've meddled around and, and mucked around in a bunch of people's stuff around the world. And I think that's put it in a lot of ways, put a target on our back. We've, we've gone and done some things and screwed around in places that we shouldn't have been messing around in. We should have been just taking care of ourselves and, and making sure we had our ship straight and taking care of the people in this country. There's plenty of people struggling in this country, uh, yet we're sending aid and, and doing all kinds of stuff in other places that, that a lot of which we shouldn't be doing. And, mm. you know, the coup in Ukraine is a perfect example of that, that we instigated in 2014 and that whole mess and everything that's going on over there. We're at the root of a lot of that, whether they want to admit it or not, that's the truth. And, you know, they want to drag us into this thing with Russia. And, and I don't think anybody in their right mind wants any of that. World War three doesn't need to happen. It's ridiculous. Right. And, Right. You know, they're they're pushing to bring us in that direction, and and it, it makes you scratch your head and wonder why, because there's an underlying cause and reason for that. They're covering their butts, and and trying to cover up a lot of the things that they've done over there that they shouldn't have been doing, and that's the truth. So, you know, we're the ones that are going to pay, and we are the ones that are paying. How much of our tax money has been sent to Pakistan, sent to all these other places? When we got people here that that are struggling and and can't make ends meet and can't get a decent education, the I mean, you start going through these systems in this country, and we've got some serious problems, and, and I don't see any easy way to fix it. Um, to be honest, that sounds gloomy and negative, but it, it's the way it, it's the way seems things seem to be going right now, and it, it's very very concerning. Well, hopefully the tides uh, change, the tides turn, and uh, we'll be able to uh, 
work our way out of it. And, you know, we have people like yeah. you, we have people like you uh, on the forefront out there in the public, which I think we need to see more of you out there. You know, I don't know if that's possible at all, but I think, you know, someone like you needs to be out in the public talking and I know yeah. you already are, but uh, you know, I think I walk a fine line there because, you know, I'm immersed in, in doing studio films and, and that world. And man, I, I got to do my best to keep my head down and my mouth shut. Uh, or I'll get canceled just like anybody else out there. So, you know, I, I can't express how I feel or, or, or really state what I see is going on without getting myself into a rhubarb and, and bigger issues. So I, I do my best to keep my mouth shut and, and, you know, not pick fights and, and, you know, not, not step up and say the things I really want to say about what's going on. And, because I want to continue to work and I want to, to continue to be able to take care of my family and flourish. And I know that you go against the narrative or you step up and, and try and fight what's going on. You, you ended up in, you know, they hold a lot of the cards, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And they don't leave you much, much if any, options. Right, right. Well, I just want to say on, on behalf of us, we really appreciate you. We're, uh, we're really honored to have you on the show, uh, Jordan and Jason and I, um, and I, and I hope that, uh, uh, I'm sure that a lot of people will tune in to see this and to hear your message and, be, and it would be great. Uh, it was, it was just great talking to you. Great having a wonderful conversation with you. Yeah. It's great to see you, Nick. I'm glad you're doing well. This is really cool. I'm glad you guys are doing this, this podcast and I hope it continues to flourish and, and do well for you guys. Thank you, Randy. We really appreciate you, man. And uh, and in one of these days, you know, uh, we'd love to get you out here to Tampa if that's possible. We'll take you fishing. Uh, we'll take you to a Bucks game or a Lightning game or a Rays game or some of the other uh, minor league teams that are out here. Uh, we'd love to take care of you, man. We'd love to have you out. Thanks, man. I appreciate you. I think I'm getting to go fishing down in uh, at Fort Walton in June with uh, Clay Guida. Clay Guida's got a that's show right. called Grills and Thrills and he yeah. tried to get me to go out last year, and I couldn't fit it in the schedule. But it looks like I'm going to be able to fish fish for a few days with him uh, this way this this year in early June. So I'm looking forward to that. That's right. Yeah, yeah. I actually ran into Clay. He he comes to Tampa every now and again too, and yeah. uh, I ran into him uh, briefly. That's awesome. That's great that you're able to see him. Well, we'd love yeah. to do the same too. We'd love to have you down here. Maybe you know we'll figure it out in the next uh, okay. in the next few weeks or next few months or so when uh, when you have some free time, which I know I know you don't have very much of. <laughs> it's all good, man. I like staying busy. Yeah. It's, a, it's a good place to be for sure. All right. All right. All right. Yeah, it was wonderful, man. Uh, yeah, we'll I've been just a little uh, starstruck. I'll be honest. I don't. If I could ask, Randy Couture. Yeah, it's hard, right? Like one of my favorite scenes in uh, of like all time was from a big stand when they're like on the bleachers. Oh. I don't know. Yeah, with <laughs> the the money laundering, dude. I've yeah. told. I, I've said that. I've repeated that scene so many times, and like I don't know. It just, I read that <laughs> script. You know, they offered me the role. And said hey this is you know it's not a big role but and i said well send me the script i'll read it and i read that script and it made me laugh out loud yeah, um, I, I have got to play this character yeah that was my first time working with bruce willis and first time working with 50 cent obviously expendables 4 50 has a big role in expendables yeah, yeah. 4. he's a great guy actually very smart man uh he's very very uh, special charisma I, I see you know i've worked with him a few times now and um 
But yeah, that was a, that was a fun one. PD, PD's demise. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much. You know, it's it's been an honor. You know, uh, like I said, I've been a little starstruck, but I've just been. Uh, thanks for sharing, and I, I also wanted to thank you. Um, among everything else you do, I think the huddle that you referred to, you let um, you know, vets be vulnerable and able to uh to speak because, like like you said, a, a lot of people uh you know they're they teach and they're taught to just, you know, drive on, you know, everything's going to be fine. Don't need any help. And you don't want to be weak or vulnerable, you know, uh, and it takes a special environment to draw that out in people where it is safe, like you talked about. And I think that's a, that's a phenomenal thing you've done for some people. So yeah. I, I appreciate that. We have to change that narrative, you know, showing 100%. vulnerability or asking for help is not weakness. That is actual yeah. courage and, and stepping up and being willing to, you know, to go against that narrative and and ask for help if you're struggling there's a lot of people out there that want to help that want to get behind you and, and help you get through those dark dark periods and that dark stuff and and let all that stuff out into the light of the day it doesn't like that at all so no. yeah it's important i think you know i got to speak last year to all the sergeant majors in the european theater there was probably about 75 you know oh, wow. career counselors sergeant majors and uh you know, again, it's, you know, trickle down, start at the top. If we can change that narrative with the sergeant majors in the Army and had one of those sergeant majors stand up and tell his story, Strat Plessis, you know, command sergeant major of the Army, stands up and tells his story of having his pistol in his mouth. And, you know, pretty poignant, pretty, I mean, tough to refute. Yeah. One of those guys stands up and says, yeah, this is where I was at. You know, I've been deployed and done a lot of things as a ranger and everything else that, that I'm struggling with and I need help with. And he ended up getting the help he needed. And, and but he was standing honest and, and had the balls, frankly, to stand up in front of everybody and tell that story. And, and I think that's where it starts. Guys like him that are willing to, to say, hey, look, it's OK to ask for help. It's OK to show that vulnerability. We've got resources. We've got places and people that want to help out. Uh, it's got to start somewhere. So Absolutely. we've got to start talking about it. I completely agree. And I, again, thank you for doing what you're doing. It's uh, it needs to be done. And yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's a, it's a tough subject to oh, approach, good. you know, it's no fun, but it needs to be, it needs to be brought out. Like you said, and it doesn't like the light. So awesome, man. You guys have a great day. You Thanks too, Randy. Thank you very much. We'll be in touch. All right. Thanks so much. You bet, thank brother. you again. You guys be well.